Hello and welcome to Start Your Week from the Bunker. I'm Andrew Harrison. If you're new to the Bunker, and we've had a lot of new listeners in the past few weeks, thanks to relentless promotional activity by the Prime Minister, then we do this show every <laughs> week. We do it every Monday. Start Your Week. We set out the next seven days uh, of a Monday morning. Then the, we do the panel show. We do dailies on everything from science to business to food. So do follow the Bunker on your favourite app so you don't miss any of them. It is great to have new listeners on board. So, Joining me this morning to work out the week ahead is Alex Andreo. Hello, Alex. Hello, Andrew. Good morning. Good morning. So we've got to start again with the endless Groundhog Day, the mess that is number 10. <laughs> start end end. <laughs> There's nothing else going on, really, isn't there? <laughs> Time has become a loop. Uh, we are assured that the grown-ups are in charge now that Steve Barclay, MP, has taken over as Johnson's chief of staff. Johnson's hired Guto Harry, the former BBC journalist, as his director of communications. The idea that the grown-ups are in charge, of course, raises the question of who was in charge before and who put them there. But Johnson's casting this as like, we're getting rid of the incompetent hard-parting underlings. Is the country going along with this? I mean, it's the first time Guto Harry has been um, described as an upgrade towards grown-upness. <laughs> you will remember that Guto Harry was the person who um, took a job at GB News and then ended up being suspended not even a week into the job for taking the knee live on yeah. telly. So it's that Guto Harry. They're desperate. Um, so uh, I've had some briefings from my uh, cabinet office and number 10 insiders, and apparently the, the entire operation was in meltdown towards the end of last week. The Munira Mirza resignation happened, and then essentially there was a mixture of Johnson trying to push uh, ahead with some of the uh, sackings that he was planning to do anyway in order to claim, oh, I was going to clear everyone out anyway. Mm -hmm. um, so he uh, got rid of some people earlier than he intended to. And some people also took the opportunity to resign, believing they were going to be pushed in order to say we're we're part of this sort of um, spate of outrage resignation. Yeah. So he ended up losing, I think, seven people in total from his senior team. Mm. And then they had a big problem uh, getting people to replace them. Um, so my contact told me that the two or three top choices for every position on the list turned it down flat out. And as someone remarked, uh, Director of Comms, February 2022 to February 2022, <laughs> doesn't look great on SCV. <laughs> it was very predictable that they were going to end up with a mixture of MPs, because then you can just make a political appointment and actually please a few people, get someone with a, a few allies in the back benches that will help you anyway and sort of long-term loyalist uh, mediocrities, old friends of Boris Johnson, who will, would do it as a favor to him. And Guto Harry is very, very much in that category. Will it get Johnson a bit more time? Probably, because like I said, there will be some MPs who will think, let's see how this works out. Um, there will be more letters going in today, I would imagine, because a lot of MPs 
made it quite clear that they were considering the matter over the weekend, while people like uh, Stephen Barclay are well-liked. He's not universally liked, so he will have pushed a few more people over the edge, and Guto Harry will certainly have pushed a few more MPs over the edge because, in in my mind, it signals uh, a number 10 that does more of the sort of thing that they got into trouble for uh, flinging accusations at Starmer about his time at the CPS. It's that kind of combative uh, comms operation that he's already signaling. I was quite surprised by Guto Harry's appointment, I have to say. There are several things in his past that make him quite unsuitable. He's criticized Johnson in extremely, extremely strong terms, and that will be used against him. But he's also, you know, he's lobbied the government on behalf of of Huawei on the 5G network. The opposition is already picking up on that. You know, Angela Rayner is talking about the revolving door between government and lobbyists the the moment he was appointed. Um, And like I said, the taking the knee incident, getting fired from GB News within a week of taking the gig, he's... You know, he's already trolling um, Dominic Cummings. So Dominic Cummings criticized the appointment and Guto Harry simply responded to Dominic Cummings publicly on Twitter with an article he had written, say, you know, uh, two years ago saying Cummings would be gone by the summer. So he's already picking quite a lot of fights. The, the briefing around Carrie Johnson in the Lord Ashcroft book um, was quite uh, of a different tone again this weekend um, to what the comms operation would have done, say, a month ago. We'll talk about that a bit more later. But I sense, <laughs> and once I thought of it, I couldn't get away from the from the comparison. I sense that Guto Harry's Boris Johnson's Anthony Scaramucci. <laughs> well, I was just thinking this. It's very Trumpian. It's like a new press person every six weeks. It's like, what, um, are they rotating them on a job share arrangement? Or something? Like, who's this guy? I think he's the Scaramucci of this. I, I think he's going to get in trouble very, very quickly. And obviously with with Johnson teetering on the edge of the abyss that's very very dangerous well you mentioned the Carrie Johnson book um one mm. of the people who's who's leaving definitely voluntarily is a close ally Henry Newman who's the chief of staff Carrie Johnson had a very torrid shall we say weekend with the mm. mail serializing Lord Ashcroft's biography of her the Sunday Times reporting that she's sick of the pressure she wants Johnson to quit after Operation Red Meat went off in the fridge is Operation Blame Carrie gonna have more legs I mean, they will try anything. That's the yeah. truth. I suspect it's got her blessing. I don't think Carrie Johnson will, would have any compunction about uh, her self being used if it were going to save Johnson, if, we're, if it were going to take some pressure off him. I mean, you know, before she was Mrs. Johnson, she was a comms person. And so she understands the strategies involved and uh, I suspect takes it all rather more lightly. I think the problem is more fundamental than that. I think all these things are uh, toying around the fridge, the fringes, and I said toying around the toying fringes. Around the fringes. <laughs> that, that was a Freudian slip, wasn't it? <laughs> um, so it, it's just, they're just buying a little bit more time. 
And every time Johnson buys a few more days, his MPs hope that this will prove the adults are now in charge. And every time another cock-up happens and a few more letters go in. So I don't expect expect that pattern to dissipate. I expect that pattern to to continue. I have to I have to share with you Claire Foges, who's a former Tory advisor, um, uh, Cameron's, I think she was in number ten, wrote a, a piece in the Times today, and she quotes the following, which was written by Johnson in two thousand and six about Tony Blair, and I think it's a delicious quote. It is a wonderful and necessary fact of political biology that we never know when our time is up. Long after it is obvious to everyone that we are goners, we continue to believe in our duty to hang on with cuticle-wrenching tenacity. Hi, I'm Katie Riley. On the slow newscast from Tortoise, Donald Trump became the first former U.S. president in history to face a criminal trial. The defendant repeatedly made false statements on New York business records. This is not a trial. This is not an act of criminality. We cannot and will not normalize serious criminal conduct. This is the story of his first week in court told through the transcripts. Listen now to the Slow Newscast wherever you get your podcasts. Meanwhile, in the real physical world, Northern Ireland and the suspension of customs checks on agri-products, a Belfast court ordered on Friday that the customs checks should continue and suspended the decision of the Northern Ireland Agriculture Minister, Edwin Poots, to sort of unilaterally stop them. What is going on here? The DUP are cranking up their opposition to the post-Brexit trading arrangements, aren't they? The bottom line uh, is a political one. It's not a constitutional one. It's nothing to do with the deal. It's nothing to do with the EU. The DUP are drowning in the polls. And there's an election coming up. And they will get slaughtered. And so they are trying desperately to signal that they're taking a tough stance. But if we take the briefest of moments to consider what is going on here, it is just so irrational and self-defeating what they're doing. So you have a situation where the unionist party, a party claiming to represent the unionist community, is making a move that says we are independent of the rest of you (laughs) in terms of border control. That's what they're doing. They're saying whatever treaty you sign doesn't apply to us. We can do how what we like. And the flip side was Sinn Féin saying, we need to have these border controls back, which is <laughs> doubly ironic. <laughs> and a heavy dose of side-eye coming from um, Scotland, you yeah. know, um, who's going, oh, can we have freedom of movement back then? <laughs> because you will remember that during the the covid emergence in the first few months of that those things were heavily tested with regard to scotland there were times when scotland for instance wanted to impose more strenuous travel arrangements um even check on people coming over the border from england into scotland 
and they were slapped down in no uncertain terms and told we are one territory and that, you know, border control is not a devolved matter and you have no business sticking your nose in it. It's very difficult to see how they reinforce unionism by directly attacking unionism, which is what they're doing. I suspect the calculation is that in a future, possibly, especially with the way things are going right now, there will be a vague uh, fear in some conservatives' minds that they may need uh, the DUP votes again at some point after a future election where they fail to get an absolute majority. And they're trying to force the issue because they sense that the government and the EU are close to actually settling the Northern Ireland thing. So this is a direct reaction to the very positive noises coming out of Brussels and Whitehall after Liz Truss's first uh, few meetings with Mara Sefcevich. And because they're sensing it's going in a, in a good direction, they're lobbying you know, another grenade on it. Also for legislation fans, there's a fight coming up in the Lords on the dissolution and calling of Parliament bill. It is possible that the Lords may restore the need for a vote in the House of Commons to dissolve a Parliament and also preserve the role of the Supreme Court in all this, which connects with prorogation. It was the Supreme Court that overturned prorogation, wasn't it? This one really slipped under the radar. It involves removing the Fixed Term Parliaments Act, giving the PM power to call an election entirely on their own, unlike with a two-thirds vote. So it could be another like golden moment for the Lords, couldn't it? I have always rated the work the Lords uh, do as a as a secondary uh, legislature chamber very, very highly because they're actually the experts. They're the people who go through a piece of legislation with a fine-tooth comb and say, politics aside, this clause will cause trouble down the line. My problem is the, with the way they're appointed, not with the work that they do. You know, it's a big fat chamber and I would say three quarters and that's being very, very generous, do nothing. And then there's about 150 people that do the proper work. And the question is, could you get to those 150 experts in some other more transparent and more democratic way rather than, you know, appointing them as a, a grace and favour? This bill, the Dissolution and Calling of Parliament bill, actually connects yeah. quite closely to this to the, to the scare story that Mogg and others have been putting about that if the Prime Minister changes, there has to be a general election. Just like there was with May, Cameron, Gordon Brown, John Major, Jim Callaghan. We all remember the elections that came yeah, immediately yeah. after they became Prime Minister, don't we? They <laughs> Part of the Constitution, every child knows this. So, I mean, it is actually quite directly connected to current political events. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's quite a strange one again, because, of course, the, the not resigning or not having to call an election if a Prime Minister is replaced is part of the Prime Minister's very traditional power in the UK to choose the moment of the election to maximise the chances of re-election. I mean, that's mm. effectively what had been happening until David Cameron came in and introduced the Fixed Terms Parliament Act in order to sort of uh, uh, secure the coalition government. They should really rename it the Fixed Term Parliament Act because it only worked once, didn't it? Yes, yes, that's true. That's true. 
there is a battle between the Prime Minister being able to choose um, the time of the election and not being able to choose the time of the election. And what's odd about this piece of legislation is that it is saying the two sides of the argument have flipped completely and the people who were saying the Prime Minister should be able to choose the time of the election, because remember, the Conservatives, in their current Queen's speech, planned to do away with the Fixed-Term Parliaments Act. They planned to do away with that. So they were saying the Prime Minister should have absolute power to call the election when they please. But on this one, they're saying, unless they're replaced, (laughs) in which case the next Prime Minister shouldn't have the absolute power to call an election. It's it's all a mess. And it's a mess that flows, again, from the mess of Downing Street. And the mess of Downing Street, um, the, the point to understand is that it bleeds into the legislature because... The, the legislature has become so closely linked to the executive via the system of whipping. Oh, and by the way, another thing we can look forward to this week is a mini reshuffle in the whipping operation. Yeah, new whip, new chief um, whip. Yeah, yeah, Mark Spencer, I mean, he's been a goner for a long time, let's face it, especially after the um, being accused of extorting and blackmailing people. The smart money is maybe on Chris Pincher, maybe on Nigel Adams, uh, maybe even on someone, but it will be someone from that shadow whipping operation that um, uh, Johnson has set up to basically save Big Dog, as it were. Incidentally, Johnson was doing a ring around all weekend. Um, We know this from the weirdest political tweet of all time, I think, which is Johnny Mercer's wife. Did you catch that oh, one? Oh, yeah, Johnny Mercer's completely smashed on the couch. Yeah, Johnny Mercer's wife posted posted a photo of him passed out on the couch saying the Prime Minister called Johnny Mercer after, you know, the football and the rugby, and he was so drunk he doesn't even remember what, what was said. I would take that with a pinch of salt. I think that's quite... <laughs> I think that's quite a passive-aggressive move from someone that we know has leadership ambitions um, and is saying, I'm an ordinary bloke, I drink at the weekend, I don't want this wanker to bother me at home. Boris Johnson rang me up and I drank a bottle of whiskey. Um, (laughs) Usually after. Yes, after, yeah, (laughs) and during, yes. A couple of other things. Obviously, the Ukraine situation remains immensely hot and terrifying. I don't think either you or I are are, um, foreign policy experts. So we're just going to note that, keep an eye out for the fact that Macron is meeting Putin, intends to use what he's calling deep dialogue to de-escalate the situation. Meanwhile, the US thinks that Putin has 70% of the firepower he needs to invade the place. So you don't really need us to tell you to keep an eye on that. Look, my sense is that it has slightly cooled down let's say, by a couple degrees. And why do I say that? Because I think a delay in anything happening has to be seen as a positive thing, right? Because if we were discussing this two weeks ago, then everyone thought some kind of move was imminent. Um, And if we're discussing it two weeks later, it means that that prediction didn't come true, which in my mind is a positive uh, development. Finally, before we go, Queen Consort Camilla 
Lots of headlines in the Royal Crazy Press about this. She's getting the Kohinoor diamond. She will be queen. Why this and why now, Alex? Because it anything to do with certain court cases that are still dragging their way or about to start dragging their way through American courts? You know, weirdly, I don't think so, because actually the um, the decision about the date of the court case was made around the same time in the sort of two overlapped, but not in a way that suggests to me she put out her statement to cover the court dates. You know, the court dates came out after the statement. I don't, I don't know. Mm. I don't think so. It seems to me that the Queen is in a process of tidying up. I th- it seems to me that she's in a process of tying loose ends, which you would expect anyone responsible of her advanced years to be doing. I have zero interest in the royals, as you know, and their comings and goings. What title Camilla has is literally pointless because she will hold exactly the same position, as it were. So what jewels she wears and whether she's called a princess or a queen, I mean, you know, talk about uh, nonsense. It's nice for the Express, though, isn't it? Nice, Nice for the old people papers. I mean, I think it's nice for their family, if I'm honest. Hmm. Stripping away the fact that they're, an, you know, they're unelected hereditary rulers, which is a complete democratic outrage. So stripping away that fact, looking at them as a family. What the Queen is basically saying is she's saying, look, you've kept your head down for decades now. Well done. I officially welcome you to the family. And I'm willing to take the publicity heat that goes with that, I stand by you publicly. And I think that's nice for them. You know, yeah. that's nice for a, for an old matriarch to do to the second wife of her eldest son. So stripping away the, the their constitutional position, I found the story quite heartwarming and I found her letter quite poignant because, you know, she's obviously talking about a time when she will be no longer here. If you look at it as a story about an old woman who's tidying up before um, she goes, I think it's very touching. So I think uh, one more thing for people to look up. It was widely expected that the elective recovery plan, the NHS's basically plan to catch up with people on on the 6 million people who need treatment on the list, that the plan would be out this week even to the point that there were tentative times for Johnson and Sajid Javid to give a press conference today. And according to insiders, the Treasury has delayed it. Now, the Treasury says that this is because it wants to secure maximum value for money, is the quote. But I think it's pretty obvious that this is a reluctance by the Treasury to do anything that saves the Prime Minister. And so that's a really interesting thing going on. And I wonder if that will push a few more people over the edge and make a few more letters go in. Johnson is handcuffed to Sunak. He can't get rid of him. Sunak might go at any moment. And Sunak seems to be picking fights it will be a very brave prime minister at this moment that says to him, screw you, we're going ahead with the announcement of the NHS recovery plan anyway when it involves big 
budgetary concerns, obviously, because that might be the, the trigger that gives Sunak uh, the uh, cover of respectability to say, that's it, I've had enough, I'm walking off. And any senior resignation like that would trigger a leadership election, I think. Uh, uh, Johnson has been desperate to avoid that. Uh, so that's something to look out for. And Liz Truss wants to go um, to war over the Falklands again. So she's con- she's continuing her Thatcher tribute act in style. <laughs> so we're going to have Nigel Lawson resigns reprise in cosplay with uh, Sunak, and we're going to have another war with the Falklands. This is great. The 80s is back. Isn't it? Oh, they just cancelled Neighbours. Never mind. You can't have everything. <laughs> so that's Start Your Week. Alex, thanks for getting up early to join us. My pleasure. And listeners, thank you for joining us. Don't forget, if you want to support us and help us to keep cranking out quality independent daily podcasts free at the point of use, we are the NPS, the National Podcast Service, then please do consider backing us on Patreon. We'd be really grateful. It'd make a big difference to what we do. Or we'll send the van. <laughs> or we'll see. Yeah, we'll send the podcast detector van around <laughs> right where you are. Search Patreon Bunker Podcast or follow the link in the show notes to find out more. Thank you for listening and we'll see you tomorrow for the panel show. The Bunker Daily was produced and presented by Andrew Harrison. The lead producer was Jacob Jarvis. And the producers were Jacob Archbold, Yelna Sofronievich, and me, Alex Reese. Theme tune by Kenny Dickinson. The Bunker is a Podmasters production. <laughs> <laughs>